morning. Mark chapter 6. If you found that, why don't you stand and read together God's Word. <clears throat> Mark chapter 6. If you're a guest with us, we've been going through Mark. We uh, ended up at the end of chapter 5. We'll pick up a little bit. I'll tell you about that um, when, when we get into the sermon. Mark chapter 6. The tone has changed in the ministry of Jesus. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God Let's begin in verse 1. <clears throat> he went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. Many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom, what is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hand? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? They took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty works there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. He marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would open eyes to see the glory of who you are. We pray that today hearts would be converted, that the truth would be placed, and the Spirit would take that and open eyes to see. I pray for hurting people here today. Pray for healing. Pray for joy, that joy would return. We pray that Jesus would not only be made real, but we would see the worth of following Jesus. We ask you to help us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I can attest to the fact that there is no place like home. Yeah. I love to go on vacation. had a nice time on vacation, but I always like to get back home. Get back to my own little house, my own bed. See my own wore out dog that we got? <laughs> Go on vacation, it's good to be home. If you have uh, children that are still at home and you take them on vacation, you are not on vacation, you are just working in another state. <laughs> you don't know what vacation is until those kids get out of the house. No place like, I, even my wife, my wife is now in Brookhaven, Mississippi with her mom and dad, her dad. Of course, Kyler has been so kind to update you. Uh, her dad is still in rehab. He's not home yet. Connie's still there. Uh, and I know that, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of a burden for her to be there, but I know my wife enough to know that she is in southwest Mississippi with her mom, and there's something about being home that she likes. It's good to go home. <clears throat> Jesus, in the text, is going home. There's been a success in his ministry, a long line of successes. Chapter 5 ends with this glorious raising of a man named Jairus' daughter. I mean, a little girl was raised from the dead. Here's the crescendo of, of how things have been going. Chapter 5 closes with that. Chapter 6, he heads home. Chapter 5 is a chapter with all of these victories. It's a wonderful time to be in the entourage with Jesus. Chapter 6, the... The, the tone changes a bit. 
chapter 5, the crowds are with Jesus. The religious leaders are not. They're individuals that are not. But the crowds, his fame is spreading. They are with him. Chapter 6, though, for the very first time, Jesus will be rejected by the crowd. And what's interesting is, this is a crowd that should have celebrated him. This is his home. So I've been rolling this over in my mind and thinking about this chapter and especially the first six verses and asking why. Why is this story in the Bible? A man named Mark wrote this little book, Gospel of Mark. Mark got his information, it's John Mark, from Peter who was with Jesus and was there that day. Mark wrote the story in this Gospel, sent it to a church in Rome. Greek church, why would he include this story? It's not a success story. It's, it's a narrative of, uh, of defeat. I mean, in some ways, this is kind of an embarrassment. Jesus took his 12 disciples home, and this happens? I've been rolling that around thinking, why did, why did Mark write this for us? I think, I think the key might be in verse 1. Because in verse 1, we find out this is not Jesus going by himself. He may have already had a trip. Luke tells us about a trip to Nazareth. This trip is not just a trip home to see his mom and brothers and sisters. Verse 1 says that his disciples followed with him. See, this little trip down to Nazareth is not just a visit home. This trip down to Nazareth is a teaching trip. Something's going to happen in Nazareth that teaches the 12 what it means to actually follow Jesus. I mean, think about the 12. So far, it's been this, uh, it's been this sort of happy mayhem. The crowds are excited to be with Jesus to be associated with Jesus is a very good thing. Doesn't take much effort to follow Jesus then. They, they, they've seen his power. Now Jesus takes them down to Nazareth. Now it's time for them to experience some of the perils, some of the pain of following Jesus. He takes them down there so that they might have their resolve stiffened so that they might get a little steel in their spine. Because there are hard days after chapter 6. There are going to be hard days of following Jesus there on the way. Now, there is not a person in here that is not facing some sort of odd difficulty on the road of following Jesus. And this is written here for your benefit, for your growth, to give you strength and to give you courage to stand by a decision or to make the decision to walk through pain, to live your life for the glory of God. So there are a couple of questions that drive the, the sermon for me. One is, do you want to be, do you want to be a disciple of Jesus? 
or, or more importantly for some of you, it's going to be, are you a disciple of Jesus? If so, let's go to the story and let's join Jesus in his rejection. This is the theme. What does it mean to know Jesus? Knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus means learning discipleship. Knowing Jesus, you're going to know him, claim to be a Christian, then it means learning how to be a disciple. Let's start slowly and we'll pick up speed as we go along. Here's the first one, number one. Discipleship is not easy. Verse one, discipleship is not easy, but it's worth it. You can add that if you like. Discipleship is not easy, but it's worth it. Join me there in verse one. We'll sort of explain it as we go along. <clears throat> text opens up, he went away from there. Where's there? Capernaum, up the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. It's where his base of operations is. Born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, he worked out of Capernaum. He left Capernaum. It's about a 25-mile trip. So walking, take him a day or two to walk there with the disciples. Verse 1, he went away from there, and he came to his hometown. We know his hometown was Na is Nazareth. He's been called the Nazarene or from Nazareth twice in the book of Mark. We know that Nazareth is 25 miles from Capernaum. Nazareth is about, the town is about the size of this campus here, Mallard Creek. Not a very big town. The town is not an important town. It is uh, never mentioned in the Old Testament, never mentioned in the Talmud. Only time we ever hear of Nazareth is that it's where Jesus is from. It's not a town well thought of. We know that because when Nathaniel hears that Jesus is from Nazareth in John chapter 1, verse 46, you remember what Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Why is it important for us to think a little bit about Jesus from Nazareth? Because it's, it's good for us to remember the humanity of Jesus. Think with me about doctrine just for a moment. As a Christian, we believe that Jesus died on the cross in our place. God raised him from the dead, and the way you become a Christian is to believe that. But we not only believe that Jesus died on the cross, we also believe that Jesus lived perfectly. It's important for us to, to remember Jesus didn't just die for us. He also lived for us. He lived for us as a real human, facing all the temptations that we face and yet never falling to sin. Why is it important that Jesus lives a real human in our place? Because as real humans, we fall into sin and stand under the wrath of God. There must be one who lives perfectly for us. That's Jesus. Jesus, Jesus followed through with all of the commands. He never fell to temptation. He kept every command. He was in perfect relationship with God. He did that on our behalf. Jesus goes back to Nazareth. He leads his followers down into Nazareth. He leads them down into an awkward and hostile environment. Why did he take the 12? If he'd already been there and it didn't go well, that's what Luke tells us. So if this is the second trip, why did he take the 12 down there? He took them down to Nazareth so that they could, they could learn. You see, this is where we live our Christianity. As Christians, we come to church on Sunday because God raised His Son, Jesus, from the dead on Sunday. 
Sunday's a day of celebration. We come to church to worship. We come to church to sing unto the Lord. We come to church to have the Bible read so that God's Word is in our hearts. We come to church to be with other believers, to be encouraged and strengthened, to pray for one another, to sing together, to have our souls healed. We come to church for all of that, but we don't live at church. Jesus took the disciples down there to Nazareth in that awkward and hostile environment because that's where we live. It could be your own home. Maybe you're the only believer, although walking as a Christian can be awkward and, and hostile. Or we're taking, we're taking our students to camp. It's going to be more and more difficult if you're, if you're a parent to send your child to a public school in the world we live in. It's just hard with all that we're facing. Students going into a hostile environment with the name of Christ is just difficult. Or, or if you're a teacher in one of those schools, or my goodness, off in college. And if you come out of college, you get, now you've got to make a living. It doesn't get any better. Work. Now you've got money riding on you. A lot of you are sitting here, you, you work for companies that are pressing you to acquiesce to this degeneracy. It's just hostile. And, and God takes us there to teach us. We learn how to handle disappointment and how to handle betrayal, how to handle work, to get hit in the mouth and be able to get back up, how, how, to, handle, how to handle standing with Jesus, how to handle following him. Apostle Paul wrote to the book, uh, wrote to the church at Philippi. Philippians is quickly becoming one of my favorite books. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, when he talks about what he walked away from. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss. Of all things, I count them rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Discipleship. Discipleship is not easy, but it is worth it. Let's pick up the pace just a little bit and give you a second point. Number two, discipleship is information. It's two things, information and imitation. Discipleship is getting the right information, being taught. You need, have to have information, but it's not just information. It is also imitation. Someone that you can pattern your life after. Let me read verse 2 and see if we can pull something out of that. Verse 2. On the Sabbath day, it's a day of worship. It would be a Saturday. As Christians, we worship on Sunday uh, because God raised Jesus from the dead on a Sunday. Jesus in the grave kept the Sabbath for the very last time. On that Saturday when he was still kept the Sabbath, Sunday comes. It's the new day of the new covenant worship, but that hasn't happened yet. On the Sabbath... Jesus goes to the synagogue. Now, a synagogue is made up of Jewish men and women are there, but you have to have 12 Jewish men of age. And the synagogue, if a Jewish man had all the right credentials, that is to say he was of age, any Jewish man could read the scripture and then expound. And so Jesus has come down to Nazareth. This is his hometown. They all know him. Come on in. And he stands up and teaches 
and verse two, uh, verse two tells us he began to teach in the synagogue, and they heard him, and were astonished. Now the followers of Jesus are the disciples; they are following, they are imitating Jesus. But on this day, Luke tells us when he stood up in the synagogue to teach, he read from Isaiah 61, verse 1. It's a messianic psalm. And he said, after rolling the scroll back up, today you have seen this fulfilled. This is about me. So they're astonished at that. You see, you have information about Jesus, but you also have to have imitation of Jesus. You, you need both. You need both or we are out of balance. If all we are is a church that does nothing more than just teach good doctrine and point people to that and get all the information you possibly can and read the Bible over and over, but we don't show how to, how to live it out, then we're out of balance. The other is also true. If all we have is meeting together and making sure we have a lot of good friends and we take care of one another and can love each other and don't have information, that's not discipleship. That's just a bunch of good friends. Discipleship is, is information and imitation. What are you, you, what are you doing as a disciple? What are you doing for information? What are you doing for, for imitation? Who are you following? What are you doing for information? Are you, are you getting enough Bible into your heart, reading it? If it's God's word, if that's true, are you taking that in? And when it comes to church, are you showing up and singing the songs? We put them on the screen so you have the words, so those words become part of who you are, singing unto the Lord and having the Bible read over you. That's how we start the service or having it explained in a sermon. Are you, are you in a community group where you gather with a larger group of people and someone teaches and you talk through what the scripture says? Or in a, in a D group when there are two or three of you together that are intensely going through? Are you getting enough information? Getting the information. Are you coming on Wednesday nights, foundation or with the student ministry? Are you getting the information? That's one thing. That's one side. The other question is, how about the imitation? Who, who are, you, are you learning from? I mean, we all learn from somebody. I'm in several different men's groups. The pastors here at Hickory Grove are not just brothers I work with in the ministry that serve our church as pastors. They also are accountability partners. Learn from, from brothers in, across the country. One of the reasons I read biography is to learn from, from others. I have to have imitation. I'm reading a biography right now. I just finished it um, last night called And There Was Light. It's the story of Abraham Lincoln. It's remarkable, written by John Meacham. And There Was Light is the name of it. Abraham Lincoln came up in a Baptist church. His parents took him to a Baptist church where he learned a lot of the principles. And, and, and watching his life and the anguish, what he walked through, it's, it's good to have someone to imitate. I'm reading another book called um, uh, the, war, uh, the Toxic War on Masculinity. Nancy Piercy wrote it. And she takes what's happening in our culture and then what does the Bible say, how to, how to, how to combat that. Look, if, if all of your information or imitation is, is watching Reels and TikTok and Taylor Swift, then, then you're not being discipled. We need the right information and the right... 
Jesus took them down there to, 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 to model it, but also give them the information. Let's make a third point about discipleship, and we'll pick it up even further. Number three, discipleship means a lot of humility. A lot of humility. Let me, let me just read verses two and three, and then we'll go back and pick up a couple of things. Join me there in the passage. <clears throat> On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. So he's teaching. Many who heard him were astonished. Look at the five rhetorical questions. This is what they asked. Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense. Let's just, let's just walk through step by step. Start, join me there in verse 2. And notice the word astonished. When they heard him teach, they were astonished. It's good for us to remember that, that astonished, being astonished is not the same as being converted. Being moved by Jesus is not the same as being converted, being wowed, being amazed by Jesus is not the same as being converted by Jesus. Be careful if you're relying and you look back to an experience, you're looking back on an experience you had, that becomes your anchor to let you know that you were a Christian because of that happened. I would just say if your Christianity is reliant on something three years ago and you can't point till today, it's not astonishment, it's conversion. I mean, I'll give you proof right here. They, they ask five Rhetorical questions, every one of them is dismissive. They, they mean to insult Jesus. They are asking questions, but really they're making statements. Just go through them, and I'll point out a couple of things. Verse 2, they ask the first one, where did this man, there's an emphasis on this man or this guy, where did he get these things? It would be like you and I asking, who does, who does he think he is? That's technically a question, but really we're making a statement. Who does he think he is? What is this wisdom? He hadn't been to college. What is this wisdom? Or, or come on down a little bit. We, okay, we've heard what happened up there at Capernaum. We hadn't seen it. How are the miracles done? And, and then in verse 3, man, it, it, it gets personal in verse 3. Verse 3, they say, isn't he the... Any of the carpenter? Carpenter, you could work with wood or stone or bricks. Uh, when we, we brought, we bring our yokes here to have built for us. Guy works with his hands. He's a handyman. That's what his daddy or his so-called daddy did. That's the next question. See the next question? Isn't this, um, isn't this Mary's? I mean, you could. You can feel the, they're, they're insinuating his illegitimate birth. The only time in the Bible he's ever called Mary's son. Even though Joseph's not biologically related to Jesus, he, there's always this sense in the Jewish tradition, you're named after your father. Here they're saying Mary's. As if to say he don't even have a dad. Interestingly enough, this is 
some of the same things that Abraham Lincoln went through in his, when he was campaigning for president and found out that his mother was probably a woman that did not have any morals. He may have been illegitimately born. They bring that up and use it as an insult. And here's an insult. It's what they're doing. They name his brothers and sisters. We know a couple of those names. James and Judas or Jude wrote two books in the New Testament. The other names, we don't know anything about them. And they just berate him. That's what's going on here. You know, one of the hardest lessons we have to learn in discipleship is humility. And the best example that we have of humility is the Lord Jesus himself. Jesus knew what was going to happen down there. He took those 12 with him to let them see their leader and how he would be treated. Paul picks up on this when, in, in, the, in the book of Philippians again. Philippians chapter 2, it's a beautiful passage, you know it. it. It's the passage that speaks to the lordship of Christ. But Paul tells us that to have Jesus as an example of humility. This is what he says, Philippians 2, verses 5 and following. Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, have this mind which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now we go right to the cross, and we should, we should, but, but let me just say Jesus of course is our savior Jesus died in our place he is our substitute but Jesus is our example you know you are growing as a disciple not when you can name all the books of the Bible and that you've read it through that is a good and glorious thing to do and I hope that you'll work toward it but you know you're becoming a disciple that you're growing as a disciple when you are less and less offended. That's, that's how you know you're growing in humility. Things don't offend you as much anymore. When you are less and less offended, when you are more and more forgiving. You think what people have done to you, then you reflect on what you have done to the character of God and how he has forgiven you in Christ and what it took, the grace he gave you, and you are willing to, to extend forgiveness. But it takes humility. A good, a good question to ask, to check your own self, are, are you easily offended? Are you quick-tempered? You get mad? Do you hold grudges? Ask him now, even now while you're sitting there. Ask God, to, ask God to give you more grace. Why? Because discipleship means a lot of humility. I'm going to give you another something to consider. Here's a fourth point. We'll get it maybe from verse 3 as well. Number three, discipleship is cross-centered. Let's never move far from the cross. 
Discipleship is cross-centered. Let me show you where I get that. It's found in the reaction of the people way down at the end of verse 3. So you come through verse 2, verse 3, Jesus teaches. They react, ask questions in verse 2, also ask questions in verse 3. And look at the very end of verse 3. The, the text says that they took offense. See that phrase, they took offense? Those two English words are actually one Greek word, scandalon, scandalon, it's where we get the word scandal. They were scandalized. You might, yours might say, they was a stumbling block. Jesus, and especially his cross, are a stumbling block. You can circle that right there, draw a straight line all the way to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul picks up the language. That's what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 23 and 24. Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. He's a scandal. He's a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But those, to those who are called Jews and Greeks alike, Christ is the power of God. He is the wisdom of God. Everybody, everybody, everybody has an opinion about Jesus. More specifically, everyone has an opinion about the gospel. So here's what I want to do in the next couple of minutes. I want to explain the gospel. And as I explain the gospel, I want you to answer the question, just where you are in your seat. Is this the power and the wisdom of God? Or do you take offense? Let me summarize the the gospel from the Bible. The Bible teaches that God created us in His image. He created you in the image of God, male and female. The image of God gives us dignity. That's why we respect all humans. But the image of God in us, in you, has been disfigured by your own sin. Most of us here would be willing to say, yes, I am a sinner. I'm not perfect. If you're not perfect, you're a sinner. That sin is, is is a crime against God. It's not just that you're far away from God, that you're in need. The Bible says that we're dead in our sin. That sin has so separated us from God that we are not just in need of being healed. We need need to come from being dead to being made alive or in trouble. The sin is also a a crime against God. You and I have a sense of justice. We want crime to be punished. Our crime is monumental against a holy God. And that punishment is death. The wages of sin is death. But God is not just just, he is also loving and kind. That's why he gives us Jesus. That's what Christ, that's what the gospel is about. Jesus comes fully man. He lives perfectly under the law. We've talked about that. He does that to earn righteousness. And at the cross, what he does is, at the cross, he then takes the punishment that you deserve. The gospel is, God killed his son in my place. It's the gospel. So Jesus dies on the cross for your sins, God, God raises him from the dead on the third day. It's a Sunday, it's why we go to church on Sunday. God raised him from the dead. It is a sign that, that the sacrifice has been received, that his anger has gone away, that it worked, that the gospel worked. Jesus has ascended into heaven. There he is. He sits at the right hand of God. And the gospel given to you by way of information is only made yours when you turn from your sin and believe that Jesus died in your place. To believe. 
to have faith. Which lands me on the very last point. You see, discipleship, it operates in faith. You see, in faith. Let me read it, verse 4 and 5 and 6, and just point out a couple of things. Join me there in verse 4. Jesus said to them, after they didn't believe, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown, among his own relatives, and in his own household. He just quoted a proverb, a saying that was well known back then. We would say it like this, familiarity breeds contempt. That's what we would say. That you, if you're around something or someone long enough, you just sort of get used to it. You just, just take it for granted. Which, which shouldn't be so with Jesus. I mean, we do that. We do that with our church. We, get, we just take it for granted. Take people for granted. We'll take family for granted. Take friends. Start seal things. Just pick out. A lot of us have six or seven Bibles at our houses. We take it for granted. Forget about the gospel. We, the reason we're mad at people who offend us is because we forget the grace we've received. Familiarity breeds contempt. So he makes a statement in verse 4, and then in verse 5 and 6, here's what Mark does. Mark swings the camera around, back to focus on, on Jesus and his reaction. Let me read it, verse 5. He could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. It's not that he didn't have the capacity but, but, but Jesus is not a traveling magic show. He doesn't just show up to do tricks to impress people. He doesn't operate. Jesus doesn't work where there isn't faith. In fact, there are only two times in the whole Bible, only two times in the Bible where it is said of Jesus that he marveled. One time is in Luke chapter 7. Now, both of them have to do with faith. One is in Luke chapter 7. Remember the centurion? Go read it later if you want. The centurion who had a servant that was sick, and the centurion said to Jesus, I am a man under authority, I understand authority. If you will just say the word, my servant will be healed. And Luke tells us that, that Jesus marveled at the faith of that centurion. Now, he looks around at people he knew his whole life marvels at their unbelief. And it's such a tragic thing because if you read the rest of verse 6, it's such a tragic thing because the rest of verse 6 tells us after that, Jesus moved on. We don't, we don't hear about Nazareth ever again. And it made me wonder to conclude the message. Are you a disciple, a follower of Jesus? Have you put your faith in the atoning work of Jesus, Him dying on the cross in your place? Have you trusted that at the cross, that is your only means of salvation, it's only by grace, you've trusted that God saved you because of what Jesus has done at the cross? Has it worked the work of humility in your, your life? You're, you're not where you should be, but you're growing in that? Are you you're hungry for, for more information about this God you know about? That you want to know more, grow in Christ. You want to have someone that's, 
that's with you, discipling you. Are, you. are you willing to walk the hard path of discipleship? Isn't that what Jesus says about discipleship? Matthew 16, 24. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. As we pray this morning, I'm asking that you come follow Jesus. Join me now with your heads bowed this morning. As we go to the Lord in a moment of prayer, commitment in prayer, with your heads bowed. Everybody has an opinion about Jesus. What is your opinion about Jesus? Jesus Christ is Lord. Will you surrender to his lordship? Maybe you already are a Christian, and this morning you need to pray for someone you know that has rejected. They're like Nazareth. They've rejected Jesus. Possibly you would claim to be a Christian, but you haven't seen much growth in your own discipleship, and you need to pray this morning, God, help me. Maybe God has brought so many things in your life now that's humbling you. You want to pray for, for, pray for humility and pray for grace. We're going to sing another song, and as we do, if you'd like to come and talk to a pastor, our pastors are down front. You may be more comfortable talking to a, a pastor after church. We'll be in the lobby. It's a good time to do that. But if God has spoken to your heart and you want to come and pray or have someone pray with you, when we sing, that would be the time to come forward. Father, we thank you for the grace you give us in Jesus. Thank you for the joy of the Lord's day. We thank you that you have loved us and called us to discipleship. We pray that you would find us faithful. We pray that you find us faithful as a church. God, thank you for Hickory Grove. Make us a church that believes in discipleship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.